0: Two hundred and sixty-six, Part One or Volume One, uh, from the Esoteric School, Esoteric Lessons from nineteen o four to nineteen o nine by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James H. heinz This is Lecture Two, given in Berlin on February fifteenth, nineteen o four. In Western cultures, spiritual development must begin primarily. With the so called control of thought. Although Western thinking, which is entirely unordered and highly arbitrary, is not at all suitable for developing controlled thought, that is, thinking that follows a strict logical succession, nevertheless, this is what is necessary as a first step. Here I would like to return to something that I have already spoken of. We must develop a sensitivity for perceiving illogical, badly controlled trains of thought. Ordinary human beings will experience a kind of pain every time their senses are strongly stimulated. However, those people are very rare who are sensitive to uncontrolled, inconsistent thinking and experience it as pain. And yet this is a step that everyone must take, and not only with regard to thinking, but also with respect to reading our Western literature. I do not make exception for a large number of books found in our Theosophical literature. There you will also find many uncontrolled thoughts. Most people of the present age think in an uncontrolled fashion, and every uncontrolled thought signifies a reconciliation or balancing that has not been carried out, an inability to place oneself in a relationship appropriate to the appearances. It is like a, quote, slipping out, close quote, and a slipping in the physical world is also a reconciliation or balancing that has not been carried out with the physical world. We must develop with us an intense feeling for good thinking that carries through to the end, so that we feel a kind of physical pain when an improper thought occurs within us or from another person. In ordinary life it is not possible to control one's thoughts in this fashion. Consider how much you are forced to continually think in an illogical fashion when you are engaged in your professional life, for people think illogically everywhere. In daily life, in businesses, in the higher professions, in natural science, in history, you encounter illogical thinking everywhere. And the most illogical of all you will find in jurisprudence, there where one should be thinking the most logically. Those who want to arrive at higher knowledge themselves, and not just hear it from other people who have it, must begin to live their lives from within. In order to do this, they must entirely close themselves off from the rest of their lives, at least for very short periods of time during the day. Even if it is for only five to ten minutes, or only three to four minutes, they must devote themselves to their own inner life, and to such thoughts that do not originate in our immediate culture, not in our everyday life, but have rather a higher origin thoughts in which one can place one's trust. This withdrawal, this living and weaving in a world of thought that is strictly ordered, this devotion to such a world of thought, if only for a shorter, a short period of time, that is what compensates for the distraction and fragmentation caused by external civilization. Then, strengthened with an inner center, we can go through the everyday world, We can lead ourselves through the everyday world through our ability to remove thoughts from our field of inner vision if they do not belong to our ordered life. Do not think that you will always be able to do this. Just remember that when you cross the street you are not lord of your own thoughts. That from all sides, without your being able to do anything about it, thoughts from the surrounding world are attacking you affecting your consciousness, using it to play so that you are a plaything of your consciousness. As long as you lack the power to reel in your thoughts as if on a string, you cannot expect that the inner world will open itself to you. We can only expect to become lord of our own thought world when we manage to free ourselves from everyday life for a brief period of time, and lift ourselves to ideals. When one acquires love for an ideal, then one achieves inner strengthening. It does not depend upon grasping a thought with one's understanding. Consider the first thought in Title Light on the Path. Quote, Before the eyes can see, they must be incapable of tears. Close quote. Consider it today, tomorrow, and again, and again, then it begins to be alive. And if you deflect everything else that tries to interject itself and mix up this thought, then it will become the center point of your being. It lives and weaves within you. It will show you that it causes other thoughts to come forth from it, that it is endlessly fruitful and you will see what you have to overcome inwardly. A sensitivity to wrong thoughts must take root within you. It must reach the point that you feel you are being stuck by needles of wrong thoughts. You must also feel this when you are reading books. If you cannot feel pain caused by illogical thinking, then neither can you develop proper thinking. However, You must not only understand proper thinking, you must also love it. You must love a thought as one loves a child. You have seen your child today, yesterday, and the day before yesterday, and you still love it. You must do the same with your thought world. When you think that you have understood a thought, you must not push it out of your thoughts, but rather turn to it again and again. When you can do that, then you are equipped with a kind of, quote, thought armor, close quote, and then the transition stage ceases, the stage when you had to fight off thoughts that were illogical. It ceases when thoughts are facts to you, just as much as a chair, a table, and so forth. You become positive. Those who live in the spiritual world know that. They also know that they are always surrounded by thoughts that are powers and forces working upon us. Those who are receptive for it can see how thoughts of hatred, how thoughts of goodwill are sent back and forth between people. They see how thoughts are drawn into people and how they bounce back. There are people who stand before us in a strange way, they stand there as if surrounded by a crystal body, in the middle of which they live, and all inappropriate, unsuitable thoughts bounce off this crystal sheath. Those are people who understand how to lead a meditative life, to understand how to regulate their lives from within. You can test whether your thought control has been successful, but not by simply saying to yourself, quote, Now I am thinking correctly, but rather by using a barometer that can show you how your thinking is controlled from within. And for those who follow the path of knowledge, that is one's dream life. For those who truly understand these things, one's dream life is valued highly, though not in the same way as by others who are superstitious. For those who understand It has an entirely different significance than for people who have not yet managed to control their thought life. For most people, dream life is a wild, mixed-up confusion. But that ceases completely after we have devoted ourselves to a meditative life for a period of time. Then our dreams acquire a deep symbolic significance, a barometer for our degree of thought control can be found in the regularity, in the beauty of our dreams. As long as we stagger through external life, our dreams will be a confused reflection of that external life. However, in the moment when we begin to set aside at least brief periods of time, in order to become strong and powerful in our resistance against all that assaults us, our dreams take on a symbolic significance then in a controlled way we must make the effort to ask, what is it presenting to me, this dream, that appears in this way? That is also the difference between a higher dream and a lower. It is not the case that a dream equals a dream. The life that a human being unfolds in the sleep condition is totally different for those who are developing their spiritual body than for those who are not. One who has spiritual experience knows this. Those who know nothing other than what their eyes, ears and tongue tell them, who are completely absorbed in the sense world during sleep, they can experience nothing more than a confused reminiscence of their sense impressions. However, what you achieve in five minutes through your spiritual work is something that stimulates the spirit and sets it in motion, something that you take with you everywhere, whether or not your body is with you. Then when our dreams begin to become regular and become little dramas with a development and regular actions, then what we call our true inner spiritual life is active. However, this is only the lowest step. What must then be added is this. When you are making room for moments separated from the rest of your life, but you are not allowed to take these moments from your work life, from your professional life, for theosophists are not permitted to take anything away from their work life, close and then use them for inner advancement, then you will notice something that occurs very soon for those who spend some time in meditation, in the inner spiritual life you will notice that you remember your dreams in an entirely different way than was otherwise the case. That is continuity of consciousness that continually increases the more a person develops him or herself, and that increases in such a way that you become objective within yourself. As long as you identify entirely with your body, just as long as it is not the spirit that you have become one with, just as long as you will not be able to develop consciousness when you are out of your body, that is, when you are asleep. Hence the unconscious condition of the greatest portion of humanity during sleep. Such a continuity of consciousness appears only very slowly, so that you are actually awake in sleep as you are awake in your physical body. And then you carry this wakeful consciousness over into your everyday wakeful consciousness. There you have a way to achieve a kind of barometer for measuring in physical life. The ability to resist the assaults of ordinary life is raised. The body must become a kind of instrument. Then you can observe the body outside of yourself, lying next to you but you are living in the spirit when you begin to withdraw from what is connected to your body. In this way you do not become less capable for life, but rather more capable, For those who know the spirit are always more capable in life. It all depends on your setting aside part of your day in order to devote yourself to higher thoughts that have nothing to do with everyday self-seeking, ambition, ordinary sensual comforts and that you let the light of such thoughts shine into everyday life. Thus we have understood the very first teaching in Title Light on the Path. It does not want to lead people to asceticism. It does not want to estrange people from this world. Those who come to asceticism do not correspond to the theosophical ideal, but rather those who come to the Spirit out of their ordinary life. When we read in Light on the Path, number one, kill off ambition, number two, kill off love of life, number three, kill off the wish for comfort, and then right after, number four, work as those work who are ambitious, value life as those who love it, be happy as those who live only for happiness, and further, Seek in your heart the root of evil and tear it out. The theosophist must feel that we are a part of the whole, that we are co-responsible for all that is. Those who are not in a position to understand that they too are guilty if someone steals tomorrow, who are not in a position to know how they are connected to the whole. Those people are not in a position to seek the root of evil. Because we lack the possibility and the ability to start with other people, it reads, Seek in the heart, in your heart, the root of evil and tear it out, for it lives and thrives in the heart of the ambitious disciple just as in the hearts of the children of the world. No one, is allowed to imagine that he or she is good, as if we could even do that, as if we could do that for even a moment, or that he or she is much better than other people. We must be completely filled with a thought that we cannot be much better than another. What have we done, for example, if we make people happy, while at the same time, because we live the way we live, we are making many unhappy? Ignorance is the root of suffering in life. We are ignorant, as is so often the case, that we have sharpened the knife for those who use it for evil. Only the strong are able to kill it. The weak, however, must wait their growth, their maturation, their death. This weed grows in human beings through world epochs. It thrives, however, it only blossoms when they have passed through countless lives. Sometimes it only appears in very late incarnations that one who already ascended into the heights has fallen deeply later. It is not seldom that it has happened that those with the deepest knowledge join those who have fallen deepest. Those adventurous souls were indistinguishable from the great ones. Those who want to tread the path of mastery must tear this weed out of their hearts. And then the heart will bleed heavily. One's entire life will appear to have been destroyed. Receive this word almost literally, but in a spiritual sense. Consider what the highest meaning and grandest value of life is. Say to yourself, There is no end to the value of what I have seen, and how endless are the things for which I have lived, yet they are perhaps entirely without value. I must begin a new life if I no longer wish to live in the manner to which I am accustomed, if I do not want it formed and created by an influence foreign to me, but want to shape and create it through my own inner life. We then do not become another to external appearances, but we are leading our lives following a different impulse. We will be guiding our lives not out of vanity, not out of ambition, not out of sensual comfort, for we will no longer be able to do that, but rather out of a sense of duty, because it must happen out of a higher insight. The ordeal must be endured. It may come to you on the first step of the perilous ascent which leads to the path of life, perhaps at the last. But consider well that it must be endured, and fasten all your energies upon the task. You are not allowed to live in the present moment, nor in the future, but only in the eternal The seer can perceive how thoughts like spears from the external world pierce those who live in the present moment. Thoughts that could be detrimental bounce off those who live in the eternal. It is not eternal success, excuse me, it is not external success, not what we can achieve that brings us further, but rather that we live in the eternal in every moment. We will achieve nothing if we strive with greed. We should not live in the future but only in the eternal. This giant weed cannot flower there. This blot upon your existence is wiped out by the very breath of eternal thought. Then comes the formation of the astral body. Just as we worked on the mental body through thought control, so too we must work on our astral body by ordering our memory. It must also be controlled, must become an object for testing. That exerts an enormous, significant influence on one's entire life. You must discontinue the habit of having egotistical thoughts of regret when you look back on your actions. What you remember must simply be there for you to learn how to do things better. We must learn from the past and use our memory to make our souls more capable. When we so regulate our memories that we do not look back in an arbitrary way, but rather look back even at what appears to be the least significant things, so that they become a school for learning, then we strengthen the backbone of our soul. When we strengthen our memory in this way, then astral vision is formed. This transforms our astral body into an organ of the will that we can then use. We must disaccustom ourselves to tears. We must overcome sympathy and antipathy so that we can bring the proper attitude to images in our memories. When we have become lord over our memory, over our ability to think and form mental pictures, then we have reached our preliminary goal. We recognize that those who do not practice this must constantly feel that they are dependent upon every spiritual, in quotes, draft around them, like a swaying reed that is thrown this way and that by every passing thought. There is no other means of getting into the astral and mental world than to create and form oneself from within. Those who organize their memories who in the evenings form the cloud-like shape into regular radiant forms, namely the higher parts, which proceed from the head and heart, those people will show that they live from within into the outer world. When human beings have come this far, then nothing bad can reach them any more. In their presence we could send them thoughts of the worst sort and those thoughts would come right back as if they had not even touched them. In their meditative work they have built a spiritual covering that surrounds them. The end of Lecture 2